Locked and loaded to the Keep the Change podcast in this part two with James Fuller from Henry. We're not going to abuse him about killing my beautiful accounting industry with his amazing software and technology and innovation, but we're going to dig into the journey of what it's like to actually take an idea through to product and service that services over 100,000 Australians and New Zealanders. So let's get stuck into that, mate. Let's go back to 2017 to start with. We know a little bit from part one that it started with a solution for yourself, and then you decided to send this thing out to the market and see if there was fit there. So how does that piece work? Yeah, so 2017, uh, we we just, we, as with everything, and our recommendation, if you're ever in the situation that you want to, you have an idea and you want to work out whether it's something to pursue, it's so easy to get started. So 2017, we we spun up a one-page website. We just kind of took like a WordPress website, whatever it was. And, you know, we, we had some clickbaity tagline, like we pay your taxes or something. And we chucked $100 into a Twitter ad. And uh, we just saw what happened and we didn't really put any criteria on the Twitter ad. We literally just chucked it out there as the you know first money we ever spent as a business. And it was just this sort of, it was very strange to see that someone that we'd never heard of actually signed up and they signed up via our shitty website. Like it was terrible. It was like, it was, the whole thing was just smoke and mirrors in 2017 because we were just validating it. Mm. So the website itself uh when you signed up, it just sent an email to us and then we put your name on our spreadsheet and everything was done via the spreadsheet so that the entire website was just, all it was, was just an email portal that just emailed us stuff when people did things. And, but that's when we started. That was like the starting point was super manual, massive, massive manual overhead. Um, but all in the name of validating the idea and validating whether or not people actually wanted this thing that we thought they might. There's such a massive lesson in there. We, uh, You've basically got an idea, you've then built what it looks like it could be without actually building the solution, yeah. but knowing how to do it if you do need to, and then spending a bit of money to get it in front of people to say, hey, effectively, would you use this? Yeah, would, would you buy it? And not just once. And would you would you not just pay for it once, but would you pay for it continually? And yeah. that's, again, a trap a lot of people fall into is that they show something to friends and family and friends and family are very supportive and they say, yes, I love that. Of course I would pay for that. Yeah. And then, you know, I would pay 20 bucks for it. But to find the genius thing is if you can find people that you don't know, that you've never met, that will continually pay for something, even if it's smoke and mirrors, then it's worth pursuing. Yeah. And that's where we've got the beauty of Facebook groups and even Instagram profiles and Snapchat profiles and stuff. And it needs to be as mm. simple as that. Got an idea. Now I need some attention and I need some honest feedback. Would you... Yeah transact with me if you got to use this and i think so many people go the other way they go i've got to build it perfect yeah and you're like but what if no one wants it no they yeah. will they definitely will because i like it or my kid likes it yeah and it's and again it's it's such a common thing and you know you, we always talk about you know that famous phrase which is perfect is the enemy of done yeah. and it's like actually you know when when i worked with uh before henry when i was kind of working with some early stage startups doing some some advisory work you would always say like, you know, it's that, I think it's a Reed Hoffman quote that like, if you are not embarrassed by the first cut of your product, then you're in market too late. Mm -hmm. And and we always look back at those early stages of Henry and we were embarrassed at the time. We're still embarrassed about it now. I, I looked at my first funding deck a while ago that I did in like late 2017 and man, that was embarrassing. But you know what? It was like, we knew that it was rough around the edges we knew that it was all manual but that was that was the point that's that's where we started was 
we let our customers build the service for us. You know, we started off going one direction, but we didn't build so much of it that we couldn't change. And we allowed the customers to come in and say, oh, this is what we'd really like. And, and you know, wouldn't it be great if, and those were the decisions that we took to build what we did, not because, you know, we set out five, six years ago and sat there and went, do you know what? Let's build a massive accountancy that yeah. automates everyone's taxes and, you know, pays billions of dollars in tax. Like we didn't do that. We went, you know what, this is really annoying. We don't want to have to do this anymore. I wonder if other people find this annoying. So just on that step from the pod one, 1% of all tax paid in New Zealand, is that right? Yeah. You guys are processing. Yeah. <laughs> that's unbelievable. Sorry. Anyway, that's amazing. <laughs> so yeah, because this is something that we did with school rebates. So basically mm. we help parents claim at their school donations. And thinking back, like it's so embarrassing. We got uh, attention from like we'd already built it and then but we knew we'd got product market fit and whatnot and then we blew it up with a sunday star times article mm. on that sunday like i was going to the races like i was on the beers mm. and there's just thousands of people coming to the website and yeah i'm like i'll deal with this on monday no worries <laughs> like it's not what you should be doing you should be like right i'm on the live chat's like pinging I'm like, yeah yeah, that was a good idea to have live chat on there, but I can't, like, I'm not doing that right now. Yeah, yeah. And then we thought everyone would come through this channel, but 90% of people come through that channel and we had no way to capture them or go back and speak to them. Yeah. And then a mate of mine in marketing's like, oh, so did you retarget all those people? I'm like, Retar what, really, what do you mean retarget them? He's <laughs> like, what, so you've got no tracking set up? And I was like, what do you mean tracking? Like, <laughs> I'm going for a bushwalk, mate. What do you want about? And then the journey starts of like, oh my God, I'm in the deep end here. I don't mm. know what I'm doing. And I was so confident that we'll just get some get some people to it and bang, we'll, we'll crush it. Mm. But mm. I think that's the beauty of when you actually commit to something and have a crack at something. You've got your view of how you want it to work and how you yeah. think it will work. And then the market tells you very quickly, no, 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 sunshine. Like this is what we actually need to know yeah. how it's going to work. And then your journey really starts. Yeah, it's it's huge. And we right really in, in the early stages of, of Henry, when we were thinking about it, we just assumed that the people who would have the challenges with this were people who are exactly like us. Like as you do, you go like, oh, we've got this problem. Our friends have this problem. So you sort of start creating the service a little bit as like a, this is the thing that will solve the problem for the people that we've talked to. But as soon as we put it out there into the wide world and, and people start visiting the website and they start asking questions and coming through and going, hey, can I use this if I'm a plumber or a midwife mm. or whatever it is? And you suddenly realize you're like, actually, we are the minority in terms of the people we built this for. And so, again, by not completing the product and then going, cool, let's go and you know go out and start talking to people, we were able to make these tiny adjustments of going, okay, we need to, you know, whether it's about marketing or whether it's about product or whatever, it's like actually giving ourselves the flexibility to move. And so many people, you know, go in and finish everything first. And like you say, you know, they maybe they've got all the tracking and they've thought everything mm. through and then they've suddenly sort of realized that all of the assumptions they've made are completely wrong and all the time they've spent is just an absolute waste. Yeah. Yeah, because you got to go back and start rebuilding. Yeah. <laughs> so 2017, you kick off, you get some validation, you get people saying, hey, you know, I, I want to use this. Mm. How long does it take to – are you employed at this stage still? Oh, sorry, self-employed doing your contract still, work? Yeah, yep. so, this, so Henry was a side hustle in 2017. So Claire and I bootstrapped the business. Uh, literally everything was just kind of self-funded. We just put a, put a bit of money into it and it was just, it was all evenings and weekends and yeah. everything was manual. All the payments were processed manually. Uh, yeah, it was, it, it was a lot of effort because when you're, you know, in that early stage, when there's just two of you, you're literally playing all of the roles, you know, mm. you're the marketing person and you're the finance person and the operations person. And so it was, a, it was a lot of, 
really, really long late nights, hard grind. And, you know, whilst it was still kind of the sort of side hustle hobby, you know, Clary says to me, because I, I keep saying, oh, it was a hobby that got out of hand. And yeah. she's like, no, it wasn't. It was an obsession. Yeah. And, but it was like that thing of like, actually, we we started, it became more and more of our lives as we started bringing on more customers and we started realizing that it could potentially be something. But that was probably still like late 2017. And we probably only had like 30 customers at the time. When did you, just to go back a step almost, when did you know that you were an entrepreneur? <laughs> I don't even know now. <laughs> like you people reckon? say that, like, I don't know. Like, I, like if someone said, are you a, would you consider yourself an entrepreneur? I'd be like, no, I'm like, both Claire and I are just people who, who we, we had a problem, we solved our problem and other people had that problem and we went, cool, let's go and help them solve their problem. And then, you know, this is where it does get a bit of hand. You go, actually now we're solving tens and hundreds of thousands of people's <laughs> problems. You're like, but I don't think, you know, I don't think I'd consider myself an entrepreneur. I, don't, I think that's, you know, it's a, maybe a different mindset or I'm, I'm not one for kind of like going in for those labels, but mm. you know, we, we saw a problem that we wanted to solve and we just set out to solve it. Had you tried to solve problems previously in your life or come across them and thought like, oh, that'd be cool to dabble in that? Yeah, sort of. Yeah. I, I'm the, I was the kind of person that like I would get obsessed with a problem for about 48 hours and then, yeah. you know, never really in the business sphere, more like, you know, getting obsessed about doing something around the house. I would become like hyper-focused on fixing something or sorting something. And, uh, and then I would just, I, I would, you know, either fix it or get bored. But I think, and this is the problem, like for, for people who have the, those tendencies of that like passion and that drive, a, a business and in particular like a tech business is just this amazing outlet that like you can just dedicate yourself to something. And because you're in control of how much you do and what you work on, it's this amazing kind of outlet for you to use that hyper-focus to really drive something forward. Mm -hmm. And so you don't get to the point where, you know, you do it for 48 hours and you go, oh, I'm bored now because no two days are the same. And in those early stages, you know, it's like the highs and lows are just huge. Back in 2017, you're like your first customer signs up and the first person pays you some money or, you know, your first first bogus review from an accountant, you know, and all this kind of yeah. stuff. But it's it's intoxicating as, as you start something off. And you, you know, this is why I never really kind of think about it in an entrepreneurial sense, because it's more just there's always the next thing and the next thing and just that drive that the two of us have just to kind of to pick up and move to that next thing and sort of see that next bit of the vision and then just go and deliver on it. Yeah. Well, mate, well, I'd say you're an entrepreneur. Maybe you're obsessed with probably both. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the common thing that I see is like wanting to build something and I mm. can completely resonate with you. I'm trying to build something for next year and I'm just... Mm on the weekend in December, just giving it, giving it everything, launching it, sending out emails on Saturdays. And I'm just in my element and there's no mm. better feeling than, than someone be like, this looks great. Yeah. I'm, I'm keen. You're like, yes, yeah, yeah. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> this is amazing. Well, and we, now I need to build it. We more. had that. We had the opposite thing. 2017 though, is that we, we met with so much resistance that there was almost a sense of like banding together between the two of us to go and, to prove people to prove to people we could do it yeah. you know because neither claire nor i are classically trained accountants we are you know claire has a background in a bit of legal a bit of finance policy i've got background in tech a little bit of sales and marketing and user experience just like a bunch of different stuff and everywhere we went people will say you can't do this you know you cannot automate 
sole traders taxes you can't do x y and z like we once i remember we went to a a lawyer right in the early days of 2017 and we we walked in and we said uh we said we've we've got this business we're starting we want to know if it's legal to pay other people's taxes and this lawyer was like i've got no idea whether it's legal to pay other people's taxes yeah. and we we're like because he goes no one's no one's doing this and so you know you you have all of these challenges that crop up where whether it's the industry or or even other people around you are doubting whether or not you can go and do something and i think both claire and i just banded together and we're like we believe that we can do it and therefore we're going to do it and we're going to show people that it can be done yeah sometimes we need that almost the chip on the shoulder and then some people so some yeah. people to tell us we can do it and some people to tell us we can't do it i reckon it's the beautiful blend yeah you almost yeah. don't want too much of of one of them no <laughs> <laughs> that's very true so after 2017 what happens next where you go right we're gonna go deeper into this and walk away from self-employment and look for some funding and all of those things which must be massive chapters right yeah huge so I suppose it started with we in in late 2017 we saw that uh, the Kiwi Bank fintech accelerator was starting back up again. So effectively a three month intensive business program run out of Wellington. Um, I was actually on the coaching staff for the first round of the accelerator, and so had uh, had seen the likes of Sharesies come through that program, and and you know was at the sort of coal face of seeing that kick off and. When you're around people who have that infectious enthusiasm and that and that drive, you know, when it comes to late 2017 and applications opened, we'd practically put Henry through the same program at home over mm -hmm. the the previous year, and we said, well, look, why don't we apply for this thing and and we'll see if we get accepted, and if we do, that means we're going to dedicate ourselves to it for three full months. And at the time, it just felt like, you know what, if we do three months and it it falls flat, then at least we've tried and at least we've given it our all. We can go back to self-employment. But it was that thing of if we don't dedicate the time to it and really push ourselves, then it's always going to be that side hustle thing, that what if, that, you know, could we have could we have dedicated ourselves to it? And so, yeah, we went through the accelerator. That was um, February, February, March, April 2018. Um, and throughout that process, got real conviction around what we were doing. So that that was everything from customer discovery to talking to people out in the in the wider market, um, and sort of came out of that process with a real sense of purpose of you know crystallizing. This is what this service is. This is who it's going to help. This is the addressable market and the opportunity, not just locally but but globally. And so set about in sort of April 2018 with ourselves and I think we had a, a contractor doing some engineering work for us um yeah set about going out and trying to raise some initial funding for it nice those accelerators do they they still happen all around the country yeah so I think uh, there's one running in Wellington at the moment that is uh there's a GovTech accelerator they do ones for the energy sector they do fintech related ones and so for anyone who is uh who has an idea and literally it can just be an idea you don't have to have revenue you don't have to have customers don't even have to have a website but if you've got an idea that you want to validate and it's a strong enough idea to get through the judging process then you can get access to a, a sort of initial tranche of funding um and they they take a small percentage of your business for for in exchange for some early stage funding and then you can use that to spend three months intensely validating your idea in the sort of uh, this incubator program that is effectively giving you the tools and the access that you need to give your your tech business the best start it can do. Wow, that's amazing. Those are so important for this country. Huge. Yeah. 
that is, you know, where we probably need to be going at, at scale, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, the one thing I would say about just generally the startup ecosystem, regardless of the industry that you're in, is it is incredibly, uh, it's an incredibly tight-knit industry and very open and welcoming. And so I think that's one of the things that was really cool being in and around that even prior to Henry was knowing that there is a uh, nationwide ecosystem that is just there to support early stage businesses and early stage founders. Um, and in, in a way that, um, you know, have seen a lot of huge successes coming through it, but also, you know, can't sugarcoat the fact that I think it's sort of eight out of 10 or seven out of 10, I think it is on average of every, uh, cohort of 10 businesses that go into an accelerator, seven or eight out of 10 will not make it. Mm. And that's just because the founders realized that maybe the idea wasn't as strong as they thought or didn't have the product market fit or, or couldn't get the funding. Um, but the chances of success are incredibly small, but it's worth dedicating yourself to it to at least say like, I tried, I gave it a go and I gave it my all. And if those two that do make it through can then go out and build a business that's going to help hundreds of thousands of people, then shit, that's yeah. probably worth everybody in that cohort's effort to, totally. yeah, to encourage people. So then you have to go out and get some funding because I'd imagine 30 customers probably ain't going to cut it to, uh, <laughs> to, to keep a business like that going, right? So what's that process like? It's, uh, well, look, I tell you what it's not like. It's not like Shark Tank or Dragon's Den. You can throw out all of your assumptions because I, I didn't know anything about it. And I remember the first investor I spoke to and they said uh, that they would give us like, I think it was like $10,000 worth of investment. And I just remember thinking the only kind of mental model I had around how investment worked was like Shark Tank, where someone says, I'll give you $10,000 for, I don't know, 30% of your business or whatever. And I remember saying to the guy, like, for what percent? Like, yeah. what percent of the business? And I had no idea how investment worked in the slightest. Neither Claire nor I had been in that world. And so, like, 2018 was like a baptism of fire for us. Mm. It was like going out and dealing with investors. You know, the one thing that we could do really well was tell the story of the product, set the vision for the product. But the thing that we had no idea about is like, what documents do you sign to get investment into the business? What are your responsibilities? But it's look, it's a steep learning curve, right? So we, yeah. we went out, we dealt with uh, a whole mix of high net worths, uh, angel investors, um, you know, all across the community in, in New Zealand, got some fantastic early stage investors, which have just been you know, vital to the business. You know, I think we raised, we had like an early round, we raised about $100,000 and then did a later round of about 850, 900 or so. So by the end of 2018, we'd raised a million dollars into the business and it was what, like two of us and, and a couple of contractors. So it was pretty crazy. Shit. And to think now there's 105 staff in 2023. Yeah, 105 staff. Yeah. I remember we... <laughs> How's that payroll bill? <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. No, I mean, but this is the thing. Like when you see the value that everyone creates, it mm -hmm. is it's massive. But I remember we, when we raised money, we uh, right before any of the money came in, I remember we had, uh, we had payroll to do. So Claire and I went unpaid for a long period of time in the business until I think it was like late 2018. We just never took any money out. Um, but we had other staff on the books and we, our primary, our primary driver was making sure they got paid. And I remember we got down to like, like a grand in the bank account or something before any of the money came in and the documents were signed, but we were in that moment of, we're not going to be able to make payroll on Thursday. And yeah. the, the sort of anxiety and the pressure of that is huge when you're like, you know, first time founders, you, you just, you know, your responsibility is to your staff who've taken a chance on you. They might've turned down other jobs to come and work for you. 
And I remember when when the first check came in and it was like, get the staff paid. And uh, do you know what? It's one of those things that stuck with us, both Claire and I, for all of these years has been like our first responsibility is to our staff um, because those are the folks that are, they've made commitments to us. They've taken a chance on us as founders and said, I believe in this business. And so paying them back and making sure that they're taken care of is like number one priority. Yeah. Nice. Was it a cool feeling to pinch yourself and go, shit, we've raised a million dollars worth of money from these random people that we wouldn't have known <laughs> 24 months ago or even 12 months ago? Uh, or was it scary? Scary. Yeah, yeah. I'd say it's pretty frightening. And even even now, you know, we can probably talk about where we've got to now, but, you know, we, we always say that the sort of your when you raise funding in, it's not a reward for what you've done to date. It's yeah. it, you're, you're banking an expectation for the future. Mm. So raising a million dollars of funding, you don't do that off the back of like, cool, we, we had 30 customers. You're, you're doing that off the back of like some financial projections and some yeah. product forecasts of where you're going to go. And like, you've then got to live up to it. Yeah, like you're going to get 30,000 customers, A eh, James? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Although in the early stages, I do laugh at some of our predictions. I, I think at the time we, we were like, oh, we'll, we'll get 2,000 customers in the first like six months and then that'll be it. We'll be profitable and we'll be all good. <laughs> and uh, I remember talking to our lawyers right after we raised that that first bit of money and and I was like, oh, can you believe it? We're done capital raising. And he looked me dead in the eye and he went, you're never done capital raising. And I was wow. like, oh, man. And you're like, really? Like, you sure? He, <laughs> I was like, that's so intense, Murray. I don't need that level of intensity. But he's, he's, he's not wrong, right? Like once you start down that journey, and, and I often speak to founders who are thinking of going on the capital raising journey. And as with anything, you've got to go in eyes wide open. If you're mm. bringing money into your business from outside, you're also bringing the pressure you're bringing other people in you're bringing you know outside influence and the alternative is that you continue to bootstrap and you build your business yourself and so many successful founders go down that road of not taking any external funding but yeah. once you go down the road of external funding that's the train that you're on and it's it's incredibly exciting but it's a very you know it has similar pressures to doing it doing it yourself and bootstrapping but you know, you just have a lot of other people who own a slice of your business and a lot of expectation. And this was going to say a lot of people wouldn't probably understand how that works. So basically you're selling down your own ownership of the business, right? And you're selling it at a present day to the value that you've come up with and someone's saying, right, well, I'll buy XYZ percentage and yep. we'll give you this money. And then they're hoping that in the future, the business is going to do what you say that you think you can do and they're going to get their return, right? Because right. the value is going to increase. Yeah. yeah. And they'll be looking for anywhere between minimum like 10 to 20 times return on their really? money. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Especially at the early stages because the expectation is particularly sort of the angel investment community, they will invest in 50 businesses. And again, same ratio, same failure ratio. Yeah. Although in some cases where you go down that road, some businesses might just plateau and they might just be very good businesses that, that don't grow. Um, but yeah, if you imagine you own hundred percent of a business and someone comes in and, you know, they buy 10% of it or whatever at, at $1 a share, they're expecting that five to seven years that you'll be trading at $20 a share or whatever yeah. it is. Are you happy to say what percentage you've got now? Yeah, I think it's publicly on the company's office. I think Claire right. and I are about 11% each of the business. Yeah. So each capital raise that we've done, you're basically cutting people in for a, a percentage of the total and it's hard to get your head around like how that how that kind of works because you go well actually like we're the founders of the business and we've got you know 20 odd percent of it between the two of us um but i think the value that you get from bringing 
outside investors in like we've got some just fantastic investors with us who some of whom have been on the journey all the way back from 2018 and the you know being able to have folks on the journey who have a portfolio of other companies that they that they've invested in who are on similar journeys or are further ahead it's just it's super valuable so like i'd love to be able to sit here and and kind of espouse the benefits of taking on capital but i know that other people go different ways with it and it's yeah. it's very much like personal choice of what you want to do so when you go out and do extra raises do you kind of cash out some of your shares at that time too and then end up banking that or early stages it's all uh you're not able to yeah um so usually when you cut the first deal with some angel groups or high net worths um there's, there's no opportunity for founder sell down in fact we when we first took on money there was almost a uh there's like a salary lockout that happens where you get it written into your into your shareholder docs what the founder's salary is going to be and at the time Claire and I uh well we still do have two kids but you know yeah. at the time we were you know we were contractors we were earning a decent living yeah. and I think as a family we our family income halved at the time wow. uh for a good period of years there was like a few years that we weren't actually able weren't allowed to have higher salaries than a certain uh certain baseline um and you know that was that was really tough because it's kind of your your whole family environment changes where you've you got to prioritize paying the mortgage and making sure the kids are taken care of and you know when your family income goes down by 50% for 3 years it's you look back at it now and and obviously we've kind of in, in a slightly better situation but at the time the need for adjustment was just really really huge and you know, we've got friends from the time. And actually, a friend of mine reminded me the other day and said, "Hey, do you remember back in the day where you couldn't do this and you couldn't do that and you couldn't do family holidays or whatever it was? And even when you did go, you just had to work the entire yeah. time because you didn't have anyone on customer support. So you had to, you know, do customer support from your phone while you're at that zoo or whatever it was. And you know, you kind of forget a little bit about it. But that was a long period of time of just, just intense grafting, like just every hour of every day to get it to where it was." Yeah, I saw a photo that a mate posted the other day and it was basically a bit of a collage of just all these photos over the years of different people. And I was in one of them. I was like, oh, shit, I'm in there. And I'm like, fuck, I'm on my laptop. And like, we're, <laughs> we're out at something and I've got my laptop with me. I'm like, oh, man, it's like looking back, like, what the hell? But in the moment, you just got to do what you got to do. Oh, yeah. I mean, early stages of Henry, and this is literally the first 18 months or so, all the payments were done manually. And so uh, on a regular basis, I uh, one of us would have to log into internet banking and copy and paste details oh. in to make payments because we didn't have any batch banking, yeah. hadn't built any of that kind of stuff. And at some stages I was doing like 80 payments a day, I think it was, just copying and pasting. And I remember, <laughs> and this went on for a while. So when we won, I think it might have even been, I was doing some manual stuff in 2019 as well, potentially. And we we won our first award. So we were we won kind of emerging service of the year at the Wellington Gold Awards. We had like eight people. We didn't have enough people to fill the table at the awards that we, we got like a 10 person table. And I remember just being just so shocked and, and came off the stage and put the award on the table and then immediately got up walked out went back to the office and processed payments manually and i was wow. like i literally went away for the best part of like 40 minutes 
and then came back to the party afterwards because I had to go and make sure customers got paid. But it was that thing of like, you don't talk about that at the time and say, oh, I just went and processed 100 payments manually into internet banking. You're like, look at my cool award. Yeah. <laughs> Where have you been, James? Oh, just a media interview off the back of winning the award. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's just pretend I was doing something cool when I was actually back in the office on my own and uh, everyone else kind of enjoyed themselves. But it was that was a good period of time where between Claire and I, it was like not just during the day, five days a week, it was evenings, it was weekends, mm. it was doing customer support on a Friday night between the two of us. And, you know, it was that that thing of just being so driven to build this thing out, to give customers good experiences, to make sure everyone got paid. And it was it was that pressure, that expectation, like it was on us to do that. We had shareholders now, we had staff that relied on the business continuing. And that's, you know, that's a lot of pressure that you don't really think about when you're like, hey, this is a cool spreadsheet. I wonder mm. if other people would like this spreadsheet. Did you make some mistakes along the way in terms of even just without that automation, like paying the wrong people the wrong amounts or anything? No, we actually, I was, I was going to say, yeah, we make loads of mistakes, but never yeah. on payments, actually. No, we, we like the payment stuff was so important. Um, yeah, never and never any payment mistakes. But did we make other mistakes in the business? Did we invest in the wrong things? Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. We we ran an ad campaign in 2018 uh, that was far too clever for its own good. And it was that was going to be our big like meal ticket. We were like, yeah, we're going to run this campaign and going to get all these customers out of it. And um, yeah, and it just completely flopped. And it was uh, we'd spent a bunch of investment money on this ad campaign that an agency did with us and it just didn't it just didn't really hit the mark and yeah. uh you know that was a that was a big disappointment for us so i think that you know the assumptions you make about that you know as a proportion of how much we'd, we'd raised it was a big chunk that we put behind an ad campaign that just really didn't work and it you know you have those moments and you suddenly go all right this is this is real this isn't kind of like pretend stuff of you yeah. know you've got a handful of friends that say like you they like your product like you're out in the real world now and you you know there's real sort of uh consequences of things not working and this now never think about tax again is that's a is that a registered trademark at the end of that or it is like, a registered trademark yeah. yeah we got that trademark so that was pretty cool that line's so good that it's basically like you obviously hit something with that that you knew right we got to protect this yeah you know what we didn't even come up with that that was our customers that came up with that. So okay. we we run surveys with our customers a lot and we often ask them, you know, what does Henry mean to you? And so we, we were running one of these surveys and a whole bunch of folks came back with all the similar sort of sentiment, like Henry means that I never have to think about tax again. And at the time we had a different tagline, I can't remember what it was. I think it might have been self-employment simplified, which I now yeah. see so many people do blah, 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 simplified. It's yeah. like so, such a common thing. But yeah, that's what that's what we used to have. And then we saw this and we were like, that's perfect because that's exactly the value exchange that we provide for customers is that they don't have to think about tax. They don't have to worry about it. And so, yeah, we got that trademarked a little while ago. It's very cool. Nice. So you've then got all the pressure of these external investors. You've got customers coming on board. You're turning into a fully-fledged business. You're winning awards. So people are putting you on pedestals and whatnot. How are you looking after yourself through this process? You know, Did you go through a bit of a, a phase of like, shit, I got to be careful of just how much I'm pushing here or never been an issue for you no no i'm terrible yeah i like, just the just the worst in fact you were talking about being on your laptop on uh in photos i remember i think it was like late 2019 and i'd taken the kids to the doctors i think it was and i had my eldest sat on my lap and my phone was just going in my pocket like this is that's everything that's facebook that's instagram yeah. that's emails that's slack whatever it is just and she turned to me and she's like 
is that your phone? And I pulled it out and it just goes ding, 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 ding. Yeah. And I hit a bit of a wall and, and, you know, Claire and I have both had this at different stages where the level of noise from the business is like overwhelming. Mm. And both of us have uh, like got to points where we'd like, I just need to turn this down or switch it off. And it was actually a good friend of mine, um, another founder, Mike Lovegrove, uh, said to me, you you just need to find the moments where it is okay for those notifications to come in and you just got to turn a whole bunch of that stuff off. And it was, you know, I got to sort of almost breaking point where I needed to turn that stuff off and I had to make a concerted effort to, and I, I did it as I do with everything. I became obsessive about it one day and I went through and just turned off all my notifications and I was like, I just need to not have this noise coming in. And then that's where I think it was late 2019, taking care of like mental health became a just huge thing for us, which is actually making sure that we didn't get crushed by this business because that's mm. exactly where it was going. It was like, you know, the obsession, the fact that you can work 60, 70 hours a week if you want to, you know, is is actually something that you need to control and, and actually kind of rein back in because yeah. it's so easy just to burn yourself out. Yeah, especially when you've got 100,000 customers, you know, and there'll be so many different questions and things like that. And yeah, I see it um, at times with stuff coming through on Instagram for myself where I'm like, fuck, I don't think I can keep running this fast and replying to this many people and telling someone before, they're like, how do I, I've got your spreadsheet, but like, I can't fill it out. It's view only. I'm like, yeah. yeah. And now Uber Eats and it sent me a notification, reminder, yep. turn that off. Um, <laughs> and then I'm like, yep. Like it says up the top, file, make a copy, download. Yep. But I'm like, maybe it doesn't say that. So now I need to check the spreadsheet to like try and fix the core of the problem. <laughs> it, it's, it never stops. Eh? There's yeah. a good saying of, about business and entrepreneurs, like you'll die in the middle of a project. So you might as well enjoy the projects as you go. Yeah, and, yeah. and you kind of start to see that when you're into it, right? Because it just totally. does not stop. Yeah. How have you juggled then working with your, with your wife um, and, and being so like on the same path and then the family life as well? Sure, the kids aren't like, this is amazing, <laughs> mum and dad. Like, this is great what you're doing. They're probably just like, what the hell is uh, the other they, they are sick of getting served the ads yeah. uh, on YouTube, uh, which is always quite funny. But no, I think, you know, for Claire and I, we we have quite complementary skill sets. So, you know, we're, we're not overlapping. So my background is very much kind of product, a bit of sales and marketing, engineering, uh, Claire's is in the sort of uh, people experience, uh, operations, uh, risk and compliance side of things. And so naturally, we've kind of fallen into really complementary roles, which is just, it's just awesome. Um, mm. You know, I'm not going to say that in the first year, we didn't have the occasional in-office disagreement that yeah. might have been more home-related than work-related. But actually, it's been a constant iterative process for us to kind of find out the kind of leaders that we want to be and it's you know it's everyone we always say at Henry that it's like everyone's a lifelong learner and that's that thing that Claire and I are lifelong learners as well so we're constantly having to adjust and adapt to what our I look at what, what my role is now compared to what it was five six years ago you know I'm not manually processing payments I'm doing something completely different but it's yeah. that need to kind of constantly evolve and change and the two of us have had to do that as the business has evolved to make sure that like we're adapting with it as opposed to again it's so easy for it to kind of swallow you up and you you become one of these founders that can't let go of the day-to-day -day. with an idea this big you probably don't think it's that big anymore, but not many businesses in New Zealand have a hundred thousand customers, right? So that's a that's a shit ton of uh, people to be looking after, especially mm. when you're contributing one percent of the tax payments to the IRD. You could just simply not pay those on, mate, and we could have some fun. But anyway, <laughs> just kidding. Good good luck. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
you know, do you think, because I think some people romanticize startups and, oh, it'd be epic mm. to have this idea. Do you think you could half-ass something like this? No. You have to no. be all in obsessed. It's, well, not all in, in, not all in obsessed, but I think so often, so often the idea of having a startup is, uh, or being involved in a startup is just not the reality. And we actually, we say this a lot to, to folks who come for job interviews, you know, you, while you think potentially from the outside that being working in a tech startup is all about, I don't know, sitting on bean bags, smoking weed all day. Yeah. It's totally not that. Just Fridays. Just Fridays. <laughs> no, but it's, but everyone has this perception of what it's going to be like, you know, oh, there'll be pool tables and table tennis and all of this. And we always say to people, we like as a business, this is the hardest that people will ever work, but it's the most rewarding. Mm. So we don't, you know, we have a big thing that like, Everyone works hard so that we can all go home on time. So that means, you know, we work standard hours or nine to five or whatever. Um, we don't expect people to work late. We don't expect to pay people to work weekends unless they're rostered on. But it is not a walk in the park. It's not something where you can walk in and be like, oh, cool. I'm, you know, I'm just going to half-ass my job here or whatever. Because it's a, it's such a rapidly growing organism as a business that if you half ass it and you're one of the the, the team you're just going to get left behind because mm -hmm. everyone's so high performing and everyone's so driven and it's the same thing with claire and i like you couldn't you couldn't half ass this it would just fall apart it, you have to be committed to it and you have to be focused and you have to constantly be sort of refining where you're heading because as soon as you take your eye off something that's where you know your customer satisfaction starts to falter or the product starts to go in a direction that that doesn't meet the vision it's interesting, eh, because we've got like startups where I think a lot of people now know, okay, you work in a startup, you better be on because it's not like going and working in an established business that's been there for mm. 50 years and you are going to get all the 64 extra days off and the beanbags and the free joints on the Fridays if they've got them, whatever, right? But startups, you kind of know, okay, it's going to be hard and some people can handle that, some people can't. But people will like whinge about how hard they have to work in that environment and oh, that doesn't seem right. And they're burning people out. But then we'll look at people on a construction site on a Sunday and we're like, that's good. Mm. Oh, fuck, it's raining today for them. Oh, well, like mm. they should be out working on the roads and stuff. But we don't care about them. We're just like, well, that, that should be really hard. But then there's a huge middle, I think, where people are so worried about how hard their job might be. Mm. But it's mm. actually really good to end up in an environment where you like what you're doing and go, mm -hmm. oh, wow, I'm working really hard, but this yeah, is yeah. really enjoyable. And you see the world completely differently. Yeah, and, and I think that's the exciting thing. And, you know, being in a position, in the privileged position of being able to create a place that other people want to work at is just very, very cool. And, you know, the the business is nothing without two things, and that is uh, our customers and our team. And the team is just absolutely fantastic. You know, we have a, a, a sort of very clear no assholes policy. Um, and what's great about that is it means we've created a, a welcoming, diverse organization where everyone actually enjoys each other's company and actually works well to collaborate together. And that's a that's a really, truly exciting thing that people want to come in and they want to work with each other and they want to achieve and um, and get recognized for that. And we, we see so many people who are working in organizations where they're not recognized for their uh, for their inputs or, you know, they're made to feel less than because there's some kind of really stringent corporate hierarchy or whatever it might be, or they're stuck in a, a dead end job. And and, you know, for us, it's about how can we bring some some culture and some vibrancy and actually you know bring a group of people together who are all committed to that same vision and that's what we love about the the folks at henry is because they 
you know, most of them have either got a, uh, have been self-employed themselves or they have friends or family who've been self-employed or they've seen firsthand the challenges that are faced by self-employed people. And they love being on the journey to, to make people's lives better. And they, you know, our marketing manager, Brandon, uh, used to work, uh, he was doing marketing for the TAB. Yeah. And he said to me the other day, he's like, I can really commit myself to Henry because I know I'm doing good in the world and I'm marketing to people something that is genuinely helping them in what they do. And so many of our staff are in that same situation that, yes. you know, the best thing that can ever happen is getting nice comments from customers going, actually, that was really cool. You changed my life, whatever it's going to be. That's the thing that like really gives us the lifeblood of the organization. Yeah, I imagine it's not a very good sell to go out to the market and say, hey, would you like to come and work at an accounting startup? Uh, I'm sure you probably, <laughs> probably refined that message over the We years, have eh? refined that quite a bit. Like tax is not sexy, no, but, uh, like but you know, we, we go and you know, it depends who you are, right? Like if you're, if you're one of our CAs, then absolutely, like this is a really cool thing. Like, hey, come and work for an organization that's automating tax for the self-employed. Like it's a cool place for those folks to be. If you're an engineer, you get to go, look, you're you, you're not gonna work in, you know, if you go to a bank, you can only work in payments. And if you go and yeah. uh, go and work for a software company, you can only work in sort of accounting software, whatever it is. You're combining all of those things together. And so the opportunity for progression and for learning is is huge because what we do is so broad and the, the customers we serve are so broad. So yeah, we, we don't lead with come and work at a tax company <laughs> what's been the biggest low that you've had in this business oh good question uh Ooh, got one actual in. actual biggest low or biggest low at the time because everything's a perspective game right like the yeah. lows that we had in 2018 kind of pale in in comparison now when you look back on them like it's something that just seemed like world ending in 2018 when we were just getting started um now we probably look back on and go, oh yeah, that's that's really not a problem. So yeah, I think probably big, biggest low for us uh, has probably been as a collective the amount of the amount of amount of times that our resilience is tested as a business, and that is in a number of different areas. And you know, we talked a little bit before about reception from the traditional accounting industry. You know, we we've never set out to kind of to come in and you know everyone throws around the word disruption, but mm. you know, early on we went to the accounting industry. We wanted to work with them. We said, hey, this is a tool that you can use where we'll do the admin and you can do the advisory services. And we were summarily ejected from people's offices for blaspheming about mm. the accounting industry. And so it's that thing of like, we've never set out to, to piss anyone off, to disrupt anyone. But when you, you're you on the receiving end of comments, like especially online, like, I mean, you'll, you'll know this, you, you put stuff online, it's like putting a bit of yourself out. And the, the trolling of, uh, you know, just innocent people who happen to be actors in our ads. Yeah. I'm like, that's a low point for us. It's like, we're only trying to put some good out into the world and seeing some of that stuff, you're like, Man, it's a, it's a low to see how people react to stuff that they see online or stuff that they see in their industry. And you're constantly having to pick yourself back up and go, you know, we're on, we're, we're doing something good here. You know, and you remind yourself that of all the people that, that we speak to, you know, 99.9% .9 of them having the most amazing experience. And you have to go back and remind yourself because otherwise that one negative comment is, is you know, it's just going to chip away at you. Yeah, it's a couple of hours of just thinking about it, right? And then you're like, why yeah. am I doing this? this and is just exactly. And you can't you can't fixate on it. But, it, you know, and this is where both Claire and I are, are, have sort of fallen into this trap. And, and it's because we believe in what we do so much that we take 
we take feedback incredibly seriously. Yeah, and so, yeah, very personally, it's like, this is, this is our baby. So if anyone has a bad experience, we will like fight tooth and nail to make sure that they can either have an improved experience or whatever. And then, you know, in the very minority of cases, you just have to sit back and go, some people are just assholes. And, yeah. and like, this is what is really frustrating to us. You know, there's no amount of great support or great help that you can give people some people just want to be angry. And, you know, that for us is, that was a sad thing to get to. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes in the school rebates days, what I would do is I would reply to them and say, we're going to refund you or we're going to solve this for you. The one condition is you never use our service again. We've, we've <laughs> not had anybody ever treat our team like this and we don't want it to happen again. So could you please, please promise us that you will not come back to our website? Yeah, <laughs> we, we do exactly the same thing. So yeah. we, we, we know that, you know, tax and finances, it's a very emotive topic. Mm. But once in a blue moon, someone will come in and they will treat our staff with disrespect and our staff will never rise to it. And they will always say to them, hey, look, we're just trying to help, et cetera, et cetera. And if someone isn't able to treat our staff with respect that they're being given, then we refund them and we say, this service is not for you. You'll have to find someone else to be your accountant. And the difference that makes to our staff is huge because some of them have been in jobs where they've been abused over the phone and they're just told that you just have to take it. Yeah. But we as a private organization get to choose who our clients are. And if you're going to come in and be an asshole on the phone or on the chat to people unreasonably, that doesn't mean people can't get emotional because we totally understand, you know, if you're unsure about your tax situation and you're coming from a previous accounting relationship and you're anxious, we totally understand that. But if you're coming in and you don't let us help you, then you'll just be shown the door. And that's a really important thing for us, for the safety of our staff, for them to know that they're not going to be subjected to just unreasonable levels of anger from someone who is, you know, typing into a, into a keyboard from yeah. across the internet. Yeah. Forgetting that these are real people on the other side. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's go to the highs, mate. What's been the biggest high that comes to mind? I think, uh, I mean, there's so many. And then the highs are just like, I, I think everything from hearing from our customers, the difference that it's made to them is, is you know, uh, particularly people who have had challenges around kind of tax bills in the past and anxiety and, you know, even people who have had trouble getting loans or mortgages as a self-employed person who've gone on to be able to get financing because they use Henry, because they're always up to date on their taxes and because the information we can give the banks is immutable. And to hear the response from people is just, that's it for us. That, like, that, makes, that makes our day of our team anytime we hear that stuff. Um, you know, there's obviously like, there's a bunch of like technical highs and other stuff and hitting certain numbers, but that kind of, you know, you've got when it really kind of hits you in the feels where someone sends a message in and we always post it internally whenever someone kind of gives us kind of nice compliment or something and when you see what it has meant to people to have this service in their lives like that is huge for us that's like you know you find yourself kind of welling up a little bit at people's messages to you and you're like oh that's you know we, we didn't set out to do that but that's the thing that really makes the difference to us is just seeing the impact that you can have with something as simple as like trying to make tax a bit sexier yeah well not many people have been able to achieve that <laughs> still trying yeah um what advice would you have for somebody who's going through the grind of business no matter how big they want it to be but they're still in that first couple of years and they're in that startup stage men mentality and, mm. and all those things what would you tell them what would I tell them? I think that you've got to, you've got to be 
passionate about the thing that you're doing because that's what gets you up in the morning like it's passionate about the problem that you solve whether you're mowing lawns or or whether you're delivering babies or whatever you're doing like if it's your you know it doesn't have to be your mission in life but if you can get up in the morning and be excited to go and work with your clients or excited to go and do what it is that you do that will get you over the hard times because there will be hard times you know and, and Claire and I have always said if this was easy, then everyone would be doing it. You know, the fact is, it is difficult. Running a business of any size, of any industry, it is hard. But it's also incredibly rewarding. And if you can find something, if you can find that thing that gives you that passion, gives you, gets you that drive that you can get excited about and dedicate a bit of your time to, if not all of your time, um, then the rewards are going to be huge. Just personally, professionally, you know, you don't have to grow a hundred person tech company out of it, but the, the worst thing that you can do is slug away at something that you don't enjoy doing, because then that's going to beat you down. The resilience is going to get tested. And, you know, when stuff gets hard, that's when you're going to think about throwing in the towel. And, yeah. you know, I've been very open in the past with people of saying, you know, probably the number of times that Claire and I have attempted to quit the business is quite high, yeah. you know, back in the early days, because you'd be like, everyone tells you, you can't do this. And, you know, people are making up shitty google reviews and stuff yeah. and you're like oh just that's that's been this off this is clearly just fighting an uphill battle but you know you have to focus on the mission of what you're doing or the vocation or whatever the passion you have for it and that's what gets you up in the morning like you've got to go solve that problem again you've got to go help that customer and it sort of it sucks you in and mm -hmm. if you're not finding yourself getting sucked into it then you know maybe you've got to find something you can really enjoy doing because it's a it's a long and hard slog out there and mm -hmm. if you're not enjoying it then you're going to find it really difficult love it all right, where is Henry going over time, mate? What's keeping you excited? What's the vision that we, uh, can, we you know, can talk I, to? The big thing for us is, you know, we're all about kind of making self-employment, you know, simple and affordable and accessible for anyone. And that's, we know that the problem we solve is a global one. So, you know, we've, we've got some really cool stuff to come uh, overseas, which is excellent. We've got some real product innovation that we'll be bringing back to that thing of like, can we make our, our customers' lives even, even easier? And then, you know, we've got a, a whole bunch of new stuff that, that we can do internally as a business to really kind of, you know, everyone's driving for efficiency at the moment. There's a whole bunch of stuff that we can do around that as well to, you know, to, to focus on the things that we really need to be looking at, you know, basically keeping our gross margins high and looking at a kind of internal cost to serve and all of the fun, all the fun financial stuff that comes from <laughs> running a business. But, you know, that's, that's the stuff that's really exciting is that once you've gone beyond that point of validating your product market fit and, you know, you, you've got that massive base of like five-star reviews on Google or Facebook or whatever it is, and you, you, you can't sit in the comfy chair and go, cool, I'm done now. You go, actually, how do I make this better, faster, bigger, whatever that's going to be. How do I look to the next thing, you know, and how do I focus in on just that, that critical mission of there are other people that we can go and help that may need a service like Henry and how do we go and tell them that it exists and get them excited about it? Love it. Did you take money from anyone, shouldn't say take money, raise money <laughs> from anyone where you were like, whoa, shit, they want to invest in this, in that high net worth space? Uh, oh, they're in the room. Yeah, we... In fact, well, there's a, there's a whole bunch. There's a whole bunch. Uh, we we've had people from I'm not sure if I can say it publicly. Incredibly well known Silicon Valley based startups wow. uh, invested, which was very yeah. cool. Um, purely selfishly, as a bit of a sports fan, I loved getting investment from Athletic Ventures over in Australia. So that's a investment syndicate of current and and past sports stars in Australia, yeah. um, which has just been awesome. 
like getting some intros there just socially, yeah. like chatting to the likes of uh, like Matt DeBoer, who's like famous AFL player. It's just like that. That's a kind of like weird sort mm. of pinch me. I think we're dreaming here kind of thing. You know, when uh, when you're meeting those guys, um, it's just been very cool. I think, you know, even in the early stages, getting investment from one of the partners at a big four tax firm was well, that was big for us. Yeah, you know, wow. and so. Those are the kind of people, when those high net worths come in, when those investment syndicates come in, likes of, you know, EVP and Left Lane and Airtree, who are such huge names from a venture capital perspective, for us to get investment from Icehouse, you know, like they're in the news, like every few days of the kind of businesses they invest in. And when you go, we're one of their portfolio companies, like that's a real, you know, that's a real kind of dream moment when you're like, hang on, what do you mean? You're like, we're in the likes of, you know, the kind of canvas and the mr yums and the sharesies and others and you, you still sit there and go yeah but this is this is a tax business and started <laughs> as a spreadsheet like it's yeah. hard not to sort of feel like slightly have that imposter syndrome about where you stack up there but very very cool to for people to believe in claire and i and, and the vision and that's again that commitment of like these are the people that we got we're paying back you know we're paying back those investors for their faith in what we're doing and we're paying back our customers for their faith in in believing in us as a business love it how I'd summarize it, mate, is so spreadsheet, idea, solves a problem, go out to the market, we have customers, then we know there's something there, we get funding from people that are keen to invest in your vision and what you're going to be able to achieve. You then go out there and work your face off and execute on that. We get some awards to back up hey, you're doing something pretty cool here. And then it's straight back to work to do the action. <laughs> we then explode into 105 staff over time. You continue to innovate the product and it probably goes from some of your ideas to all of these people's ideas and all of your consumers um, and customers, sorry, ideas and that community piece. And you then think scale into Australia, different countries, more and more solutions and all in six years. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty crazy. It's kind of, it's been, it doesn't feel like six years, but my face will tell you it's been <laughs> six years. It's like, I look at photos of myself when I'm started and I'm like, wow, this, this business has aged me. Yeah. But, you know, like I, I, at this stage, when you, when you look at it and go, there's just so much forward looking stuff, you know, we, we recently raised the, our sort of fourth round of funding, which is like our series B, we raised $35 million. So that I think takes our total to like $65 million raised in four or five years. And when you look at that and go, actually the exciting stuff for us is very much the future of like what comes now and, mm. you know, this amazing team that we've got. And, but taking time to kind of look back and go, wow, this was a spreadsheet five years ago. You know, that's yeah. still, uh, that, that's still kind of quite bizarre to think about, but uh, yeah, can't dwell on the past. There's lots to be doing. Yeah. To, to wrap up there, mate, what has this journey done for you individually? Do you think? Uh, I mean, it's helped me scratch an itch, right? It's kind of, I think that I've always been someone that's, loved a project and you know i think claire's sort of pretty similar in terms of her personality but i think it's you know i think i was saying about it earlier it, it's given me an output personally for the kind of focus that i would have put into all sorts of random odd jobs and various other things it's like allowed me to channel that into something that can really make a difference and so as a as a personal outlet i think there's you know, there's nothing else that, that I could have done that would have come close to this. And so I'm, I'm really enjoying the kind of growth journey as well of going from doing a lot of the doing to now having a very different job now than I had five, six years ago and looking forward to the next stage of this and going, actually, how's my job going to change again in the next even like six to 12 months? 
Well, I'm impressed, mate. I hope that people watching and listening are. I'm sure they'll continue to be impressed if they continue to follow the journey of Henry. They can do that via the website, your social media. I said to you on Sunday in an email, I said, we need more people like you in New Zealand for the future of New Zealand, and you've got lessons that can help someone's journey when they get started. So I mean that, mate, from the bottom of my heart, and I think that there'll be people that will be inspired by what you're doing, and you're probably starting to take some of it for granted because you're just so busy (laughs) deep in it. But I hope that we've been able to pull out some lessons for people listening there um yeah congratulations and well done on what you've been able to build out and i hope that um you know this just gets bigger and bigger and we can celebrate it as a massive success story of new zealand oh thanks and appreciate you having me on it's been awesome to chat no worries we'll do it again at some stage we'll do